All right, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the RevOps Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Henderson, and I am joined by my usual co-hosts. Go ahead and do your intros, fellas. Hey, guys, Brandon Redlinger here. And Jonathan Stevens. Nice. And this week, we are going to talk about account scoring, which has been a subject that Jonathan has probably wanted to talk about for a long time, but I always think <laughs> that it seems, sounds kind of boring. And we did, a, I actually had to do a bit of a look back. I was like, did we already do this? Like, it feels like we did this. No, we did lead scoring. We did actually. lead scoring. And we, and we talked about some account scoring with John, John Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so, true. So, so if anybody has questions about that, go, go to the last, last episode. It's probably way more valuable than this one. I'll just preface this whole episode with that. That episode was better than this one's going to be, I promise. Um, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, but account scoring, super important, super valuable, different than lead scoring, right? So let's start where we always start. Anybody want to give me uh, the old definition, the old uh, razzle-dazzle with the uh, definition of uh, account scoring? Are you guys ready don't, for this? Don't do it, Jonathan. Uh, don't do it. Okay, fine, Brandon, you not, take it. Not today. I, I am in no mood for this today. I'm none whatsoever. I'm one day away from my first vacation in like two years. Don't mess with do me. You, don't mess with him now. Well, I I think account score, like lead score, I mean, I don't have a definition uh, that I'm going to read from, but... <laughs> because <laughs> i didn't didn't prepare like i should have for this one um, <sighs> i prepare as much as i do every time um but anyway it it's it's really prioritizing the the accounts that you're going after instead of just the, the leads that you're going after so it's uh, taking the entire account into consideration um for your both your sales and marketing efforts Right. Yeah. I mean, it's the est- it's assigning an estimated value or assigning a value to accounts based on a wide array of indicators that would say how close they are in proximity to your ideal customer profile or what their intent is to purchase that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Totally. Jonathan, why did you point at yourself? I was trying to tell you to get closer to the mic. Oh, weird. Anyways, um, <laughs> I don't know. That's the only way I can think to do it. Two fingers pointing at yourself means. <laughs> I thought you had something valuable work. to add. I was thinking you, you can just use your voice. Call on me. Like, call on me. You use your words <laughs> and speak. You don't have to raise your hand. But all right. Anyway, I will try to be closer to the mic, I guess, <laughs> so Jonathan doesn't do weird things. Anyway, so so it's assigning value to an account based on proximity to ICP, likelihood to buy, that sort of thing, right? And and, and, um, and it's helpful. Uh, you know, the next thing would be, why would you use it? And the way I would use account scoring is, is mostly for targeting. I mean, it, Ideally, that is that's the most valuable reason of it, right? Like you have limited ad spend budget, you have limited bandwidth for outbounding from a sales team's perspective. You have a huge ICP globally, right? Most companies, if they looked up like our total addressable market, when you do your TAM, is like billions of dollars and just like hundreds of thousands of companies. And you probably don't have the bandwidth, even if you're a Fortune 500 company, to target all of them at the same time or do it well, right? And so it's helping you to to identify where where to spend that money and where to target. Um, anything you guys want to add on to that? Jonathan, you want to point at yourself and then raise your hand? I'll call on you. <laughs> right here, right here, right here. All right, Jonathan, do it, do what it. do you want to add? And I think it's also just allocating resources appropriately, not just money, but actually the time spent. So your marketing team is going to spend a lot of time gathering the right leads and the right contacts, your sales team doing the same thing. So if you've got sales and marketing focused on accounts that aren't going to be worth a damn, then it's going to just totally. set you back for failure. Yeah. And even if you're, say, say you're like a, 
Fortune 500 company and you have sales reps, so you might have a sales rep who just has Western Los Angeles, right? Like they might be limited in territory to that level of degree, which is very common. And say you're working at like Thomson Reuters or something, um, and, and you're selling just to West Los Angeles. That's still like a thousand law firms to sell into. I mean, probably more, right? And so the, you still have to figure out some way to prioritize which of those thousand law firms do I want my sales rep to work on first, right? Because mm-hmm. even though it's a very small segment, there's still some level of prioritization needed. And so doesn't matter how big or small, it just helps every piece of the funnel prioritize time, resources, everything, sort of. Yep. Sweet. Cool. Brandon's just nodding. We're moving on. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, I have nothing, I have nothing <laughs> but, to add to that. But an important caveat, and, and I'll let one of, I'll, wait, I've, I moved too far away. Jonathan's going to yell at me. He's going to point again. He's going to point. An, an important caveat here, I think, is that lead scoring is not account scoring, and account scoring is not lead scoring. Now, the two things probably play into each other a little bit, and that's a sort of interesting nuance, is if a lead converts and it's on an account with a really high account score, probably a good lead too, right? Like that, that mm-hmm. can play into your lead scoring, but lead scoring is not account scoring. Account scoring refers to ranking a whole organization of things that are considered, ranking the whole organization based on the things you're considering, like intent data and ICP fit and that sort of thing. Lead scoring is ranking just one individual based on, you know, probably similar criteria, but you're just ranking that one person. And so you might have a lead that has a really low score that's at an account that has a great score. Say it's an intern, right? Terrible lead, wonderful account doesn't matter two things are relatively independent um but can play into each other so just mm-hmm. sort of an important caveat i think it was like episode four we did lead scoring we did that a long time ago mm-hmm. like star wars episode four terrible but probably good. <laughs> uh, maybe it was a good episode i don't know i don't remember it was probably not our, probably not our strongest probably, i don't know um go listen to the john miller one whatever uh, anyways, <laughs> yeah. getting off track. Um, all right, so so this is this is gonna be a fun one because uh, Jonathan and I have actually been working on revisiting our account scoring model very in depthly the past few weeks. And by in depthly, I mean Jonathan was gone for two weeks and I did most of the work, and now he's helping. Um, but <laughs> but uh, we we've been you know sort of buried in revisiting our account scoring model, which we do every about three months right now. Um, so where to get started? Which is which is sort of a great. So so say you're say you're a company and you're just starting out and you haven't really put in an account scoring model or or you're just sort of kicking the tires on you know reiterating on your first one. Where do you guys start? Where do you get started? Where would you tell somebody kick off kick this off? I think the first thing I would do is start with a one sales analysis and see what are the companies, uh, what do companies that buy from you look like, right? So it could be as simple as you know mainly your firmographic uh, and technographic data. I think that's just kind of like table stakes these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, doing that full one sales analysis um, and then kind of building your ICP out from there. And then on top of that, you know, we did a whole um, episode on intent data. I would lay your intent data on top mm-hmm. of that. And then, you know, the, the other one that I think is very important that I think a lot of people miss is your, your first party engagement data too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and how you weight each of those, I think matters a lot. And it is one of those things where you are going to have to, you know, do a little bit of trial and error on it. But I think those are kind of the, the main pillars of putting in a, a full account score together. Yeah. yeah. And I think to add to that, if you kind of take an inventory of all the data points that you can get to through your tech stack. So if you've got market automation, you've got first party data on what pages they're visiting. If you've got Sixth Sense or a third party intent tool, 
you've got keywords pumping in, you've got a bunch of different data points that you need to kind of outline and then figure out how much weight am I giving to this data? Totally. Exactly. Right. That, so, so I think you guys are, are step one and step two, step one, set up your ICP. Like you can't do account mm-hmm. scoring because account scoring is based on proximity to ICP at the end of the day, right? Right. You can't do that if you don't know what your ICP is, definitionally. I can't say how close is this to my ICP if I don't have an ICP. So Yeah, you're think, you're asking what what yeah. are, what companies are have the highest propensity to buy. Right. Just look at the ones who bought already. Right, right. So so set up your ICP, get to a firm level on that, and then scoring scheme. Then you're talking about actually t- figuring out what are the actual criteria that I would use to assign you know, some sort of a weighted score, and it's probably 10, 15 different criteria, and, and determining how, how I want to weight those is also important. It's not just, and you can start flat. You could say, hey, I want 10 criteria. They're all going to be weighted evenly. That's great. That's a, pl- a starting point. But the reality is, is what I would do, and what we do here, actually, is just grab a spreadsheet, go in and say, hey, here's the 15 data points that we want to look at when we determine you know the score of an account and then we'll go through and say this one which is high intent page visits is more valuable than just website visits because if they're visiting this blog post that's less valuable than if they're visiting our demo request form right we we know that mm-hmm. to be true and so if they visit the demo request form that equals 5 points in their score and if they visit just the website but not the demo request form that's 2 points in their score and we can map that out in a spreadsheet and then build that into our account scoring model which allows us to do that cuz you're going to want some of that nuance other mm-hmm. added benefit of that is that Three months later, when you're like, I don't think our account scoring is great, you have a spreadsheet that spells out what it looks like. So you can go look at that spreadsheet and go, why did we put that in there? What are we doing? Which, by the way, you will do. It will absolutely yes, happen exactly. to you. There were like four in ours that I was like, what? Why did we build this? Like, what were we doing? And um, I think what, the last thing you, you ever are, want to do in that scenario is overcomplicate it because you can always continue to add data points, but unwinding it is going to be much more difficult than adding to it. So totally. if you're going to start, start simple and build onto it as you start to see it working for you. A thousand percent. Use the ones you know, especially if you're going to, because you're going to have to convince the sales, sales and marketing teams as a RevOps person that this account scoring is actually accurate to some degree, right? So use the stuff you're absolutely certain of at the start because that'll create buy-in because they'll actually see success with it. They'll see like these are actually the good accounts and then they'll go, hey, our account scoring model works. Then you can tweak it and play with things as you go, but they'll be bought in already. So it'll be good to go, um, which is which is super important. Uh, and then the last sort of step for me is actually prioritizing. So once I have my scoring scheme in place, it's built out, then I actually prioritize these for the reps, right? Reps, marketing, et cetera, like feeding it to the different parts of the machine so that everybody can then action it appropriately. And this is where I would go back to the John Miller episode. Exactly. Nomenclature is important. It matters mm-hmm. a lot. Do not name them <laughs> tier one, tier, tier two, one, tier, tier three, tier, tier four. We it's did so that, that and we messed it up terribly. <laughs> name them one to one, one to few, one to many, et cetera, et cetera, right? The actions that you're actually expecting them to take because, and, and John will, ha- again, have explained this a million times better than I can, if you make them, if you name them tier one, every rep will say, well, why aren't all of my accounts tier one? And marketing will, like, <laughs> they just, it's not, it's not the, it won't drive the right behavior. It drives the wrong behavior is the end of the day thing. So um, yeah, one to one, one to few, one to many. And, and I actually got messages after that episode that were like, do you actually believe that? Are you really switching it? Yes. Yes, we are. We did switch it <laughs> a thousand percent. John Miller was right. We were wrong. We switched it. Um Perks of doing the podcast. We're learning things. Some people are smarter than us. So, um, cool. So, so that's my sort of like overview of where to get started. What else would you guys add to that? And I know I like summarized most of, most of what you guys said, but anything else we'd add to that? 
I think in, enforcement's a pretty important one too, because if you've got these hot accounts and nobody's enforcing these reps to work, then then that's just as bad because you've done all this work to identify these things and then they're just sitting there collecting dust. So I think somebody's got to hold the hand to the fire to make sure those guys are getting worked when they are identified as hot accounts and or, that can be done through alerts and also through management. Or you can get a tool that allows you to automate a bunch of that work like Revenue IO that you know, puts there people you into sequence for reps and yep. then puts them in their dialers so they know when to call them and does that all queued up for them. I mean, there, there are products like our own out there that do such things, just for everybody <laughs> listening. <laughs> which hint, is, hint. Hint, 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 nudge, nudge, we do this. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> but I, th- I, I mean, I think that's an important point because that's, that's the entire point of having your different tiers, right? Right. Like, uh, uh, so one thing that we do at Engage, or we did at Engageo, I think it's, it's so important to do is uh, we call it a, a account entitlement, but it's saying for my one-to-one accounts, this is what they get. They get, you know, $500 um, uh, for direct mail for every key persona. Mm. They, get, they get an executive workshop. They get all these things. But on the other side of that, it's, all right, here is what we expect from you, sales rep. Uh, it doesn't go longer than 14 days without you sending a personal email, right? We're not going to send any Marketo blasts. You have to touch this account so many days. You have to do all these things to this account. Um, and then, so you're listing out all of your resources. That's time, that's budget, that's tools. And then you're allocating that properly across your different tiers. Because what, what we saw all the time at Engageo and Demandbase was, you know, they, they put too many people into their top tier accounts and then they couldn't work them properly. Right. And then you're wasting then ad spend because they're not you, getting work properly. You're wasting, right. You're wasting ad spend. You have too many of them where you don't yep. know how to actually prioritize them. So I always tell people there's absolutely no shame in having fewer one-to-one accounts. It's actually probably better for you. Like probably 90% of the companies that we talked to chose too many tier one accounts or, or again, we called it tier one at the time, but you know, that, that one-to-one accounts and they should have in the beginning and they always scale it back. And super important, right? And, and we're very, I'm very cognizant of that here. And by the way, that's a RevOps question too. RevOps should know what's our capacity to do one-to-ones. And and we were, you were in a Mm -hmm. meeting with me and our our CMO last week where I was like, I understand you guys want to run this ABM campaign. There's no outbound capacity to support it. So it's not going to be an ABM campaign. We're not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Like we, we are doing other things. We don't have the bandwidth. Let's switch this let's go after more of a demand gen with that same messaging but we we got to align to our capacity right now and that's where it's at and, and exactly there's no and shame in that we were all like that yeah that's smart we shouldn't do it this way because it's not going to work <laughs> right and it goes against every bit of your instinct to not want to just cast the wide net and get mm-hmm. all the people into your wide net and you can't yep. think of it like that in your top tiers your top tiers cannot be a wide net approach and it's that that's got to be your it's like um, it's like uh, I used to go to the gym with this guy, and he would uh, he would tell me leave your ego at the door when you came in the gym. Yes, hundred percent. Because you can't get a good workout, and if you're worried about how other people see you, right? Like I, I want to make sure I look great, do all these things, and blah blah blah. Leave your ego at the door. You're gonna you're gonna have a great workout. It's the same thing when it comes to this. Leave your ego at the door. You don't need to cast a wide net. You'd rather do it right and and do it small than than do it wrong and do it big, right? Yep. And so so don't do More it for methodical. the sake of doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. So I'm going to move on. What are some, and, and we're going to get to, by the way, everybody, the 201 series. I thought that we couldn't jump straight into the 201 because we hadn't talked about account scoring, but we'll talk about metrics to measure account scoring at the end here. Um, but before, before we get there, important considerations and challenges. 
that you guys have seen in account scoring before. And I have I have one sort of like low hanging one that I'm sure Jonathan is going to jump on very very fast. But I'm gonna I'm gonna just gonna let you guys, Jonathan. What's what's a important consideration and challenge when setting up account scoring? Ugh. Well, now I'm trying to think of the specific one you're thinking of. Well, I mean. It's the, it's the only thing you ever say on the podcast, so I assume you're going to get it. <laughs> Make sure your data is in order. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Winning. It, it, but it, it, it is actually the most important thing for this because you're talking about using a, a large data set to determine the prioritization of how you're approaching your GTM strategy. So having clean data is very, oh, yeah. very important when doing that. It's one of the most important times to have data, if not yeah. any, the most. So, uh, so to so add to that data point, so make you. sure you don't have duplicate accounts. Make sure you've got the right assignments on the accounts. Make sure everybody's owning the right things because if you've got old owners on accounts or, or contacts or leads, then they may be getting missed. So I think making sure that ownership is in place is a must, and then making sure you don't have duplicates is a huge one on the data side. Totally. There, there's a, another piece of that that's sort of like the next component of it, which data quality, having all of that data hygiene, data quality, super, super important, right? Uh, the next one is, is account association for me. Is, and, and you actually did all the work at Revenue.io of building out you know, lead converts, they associate to account, and that impacts the account mm-hmm. score. That is a intense thing to build out. Super mm-hmm. important, but very, very valuable. And it's something that if we hadn't taken the time to build that out, our account scoring would be far less accurate than it is. So I would say that, for me at least, that's an important challenge and consideration. It's something that you probably want to get started on sooner rather than later if you want to do some account scoring. Not absolutely necessary to kick off some version of account scoring, but you're going to want to get there sooner rather than later. So To operationalize it, I think you have to. You yeah. have to prioritize it early, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to take you some time to build it. So you could launch a V1 yeah. without it, but but get started on it at the same time. Go go get somebody to build yeah. it for you. Um, mm-hmm. What other things? I got a couple more, but I'll, I'll see if you guys got some that surprised me. Well, what, what, one that really comes to mind for me is um, scoring your accounts is not a marketing exercise. It's not a sales mm-hmm. exercise, right? It's uh, A lot of people even leave CS out of it. Like I really firmly believe you have to have all three at the table, right? And I think these days, a lot of people know, yeah, you're right. It has to be sales and marketing, but CS brings so much insight to the table on what actually a good customer looks like, right? They could be paying you a lot of money, but CS is like, man, they have the biggest headache. Uh, this one integration that they have keeps breaking or whatever it is. And it's like, they, they, they will give you good, great insight into what an actual great customer looks mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. That's right? a good point. And I think CS and support can also maybe help you land the right titles because they're going to be working with and right. seeing mm-hmm. the different titles at different companies that are actually the champions of the product, maybe more yeah. so than sales and marketing would. Yeah, it's, I had this one listed as understanding the buyer in whole. Which is, mm-hmm. which is to say, you know, like, what are the key stakeholders? What do they actually own typically in these accounts? Because, for instance, if, if, you know, a director of sales ops is a great one, maybe that's worth three points in my model, where the head of revenue operations is worth 10 points, because I know that those are the stakeholders that they typically have in my model. And so things like that, which, which CS is a wonderful, yeah, to you guys' point, wonderful resource in understanding who's the actual stakeholder, here's the, who's the contract signer, who's the decision maker, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think to add to that, understanding the business challenges that that company is facing. So if you're okay. trying to sell them a product that they don't care about, then that that's not good for anybody. So you need to make sure you understand how the company you're going after sells and how their their organization is structured. Totally. Right. How, how do they make money and how is the person you're selling to specifically make money 
And then how do you connect your product to helping them do that? Yep. Yeah, totally. Um, cool. Anything else on this one? I, I think one other thing worth mentioning, we saw this a lot too at Engageo and Demandbase, was people just overcomplicate. Uh, they, they start off with too many yeah. data points, yeah. right? And and then from there, things don't work out or they have, I mean, I guess uh, the, the data gets just messy and they don't know what to do. So they have to start all over again. I think it goes back to your point earlier is start out simple. Well, you, but, know, uh, you know what's worse than then no account scoring it's bad account scoring right because <laughs> if it, if my account scoring is broken and all, everything that's a terrible target is showing up as my best targets i'd rather have no scoring whatsoever let's be honest yeah. like, like at least then we have a shot in the dark if i'm feeding the wrong accounts period we're, we're just doing work for no reason and so mm-hmm. so yeah be, choose the things that you know work and then iterate slowly but move quickly right so so do the things you know that work get a model that that's functional bare minimum add in one data if it screws up the model entirely, pull it out within two weeks. Like decide and iterate rapidly. That way, you're not basing yeah, on a model totally. that's not working anymore. Um, yeah, su- super good point, though. <laughs> it's 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 <laughs> it's a really bad experience, and also will bankrupt your company if you use a bad model for a long period of time. So don't <laughs> yeah, do that. Exactly. Yeah. To that yeah. point, I think setting goal criteria. So having having mm-hmm. goals in mind of what you're trying to accomplish when you do this. So like if I have a hundred top tier accounts, what's my goal out of those a hundred top tier accounts? Yeah. I think it's important to always work towards a goal with something. Totally. Totally. So, so let's shift into that then metrics to measure account scoring. And, and, and I'll start with one that I think is, is sort of in piecemeal with setting up account scoring is, is sort of work backwards and measure what buckets they're actually falling into as total, right? So if you have 50,000 accounts, how many are landing in one-to-one? How many are landing in one-to-few? How many are landing in one-to-many? And does that actually align to your budget and resource capacity? So I would, I would mm-hmm. look at my business first as a whole and say, as a business, here's how we want to treat one-to-ones. Here's how we want to treat one-to-fews. Here's how we want to treat one-to-manys. Based on what we want to accomplish across these three buckets, we can have X amount of accounts in A, X amount of accounts in B, and X amount of accounts in, in C. Therefore, when I go and actually put my model in place, I want to make sure that those numbers actually align, like the resulting numbers of those 50,000 accounts align to my capacity. If they don't, I probably want to tweak my numbers, right? I want to tweak my model a little bit to get a little stricter and, and minimize some of those numbers or increase my numbers to get more accounts into the funnel, whatever that looks like. That would be the first metric that I would use and how I would fix it if I see it. What are some other metrics that you guys would use to measure your account scoring? I think... Um, Call sentiment is a good one. Understanding yeah, how the calls one. are going, when they're getting yeah. in touch. Yeah. Understanding whether they're showing propensity to buy or if they're just pushing you off. I think that's an important indicator to know how hard to put the foot to the pedal on those accounts. Totally. Like po- uh, percentage of calls with a positive sentiment per bucket, right? Wonderful mm-hmm. metric to say, hey, this is way. If you look at your one-to-ones and there's only 2% with positive sentiment and your one-to-manys have like 32%, your model is ass backwards. So, so you're right. Like It's a great way to evaluate the success of it. It should get progressively better the further down that funnel they go. And so, yeah, totally. I love that one. Brandon? So, the, yeah, what, what I'm thinking of, um, just my the health of my funnel and my accounts, I want to know the the volume the value, the velocity, and the conversions for each tier at every mm-hmm. stage of the funnel, yep. right? And, and how they're trending over time specifically. And that, that will really 
tell me just again the overall health of my my uh, um, my, my pipeline in general or my whole uh, yeah. you know model. Because yeah, yeah, you're talking value, about pre pipeline funnel health, right? Yeah, all, all the way through, all yeah. the way through, right? Looking at again value, volume, velocity, and conversion. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. And, and that, that's, uh, that those are all great. And there's lots of ways to measure those. So, so when I was thinking, when I think about it, I think of it like, um, uh, like ops created per tier, right? Because I know that I'm still working leads in all three of those tiers or working accounts in all those tiers. I want to see where I'm creating the most opportunities from, um, stage, stage progression rate through those three buckets. Because ideally, if I've set my model up appropriately, I should have marketing resources pushing people from, from my scoring from one to many to one to few to one to one, right? Like they should mm-hmm. progress through there and then into the pipeline. Now it's totally fine if they, jump straight from one to many into my, my pipeline. Like if somebody answers the phone and jumps over, that's great. That's going to happen. That's wonderful. But measure that too. Like, are we getting that all the time? And if so, let's adjust our approach. Right. Um, so, so I would use those, those on top of that sort of, um, ops against tier, I think is a really fun one. Like you timestamp, Hey, what, what score was this in? Like, was it in one to few, one to many, one to one to uh, one to one when we created the opportunity and then look back and say, Hey, like we created, 30% of our opportunities came from one to many. Like that, that's crazy. We should, ex- we should change our scoring to expand you know, more outreach into those or take a look at what messaging and what approach we're using there and maybe use it elsewhere across the funnel um, because it's obviously super effective and a cost-effective way to gather, to, to gather new pipeline. So um, anything else you guys would add to this? One other thing that I'm 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 kind of thinking of uh, that we always pay a lot of attention to is if if you're really in enterprise deals, um, you know it it takes a long time mm-hmm. to go from one stage to another. So what are some of those just early indicators or those leading indicators um, that correlate with wins? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like one thing that we always paid a lot of attention to, and I know companies do, is just how many contacts am I adding per account per my tier one yeah. every month. Mm-hmm. Per tier two, per two. I, I see. I'm still. I'm still saying tiers. I'm not. I'm used to saying one to one, one to few, one to many yet. Get it together. All right. Damn it. Get it. Get no, it but together. yeah, con- contacts added is. I mean, well, you won't. You won't move the needle on those accounts unless contacts are being added. So it is something to set expectations for and then carefully police. Because again, if if you're not meeting exactly. that behavior, it is is not going to work. Yeah, and not only adding the contacts, but making sure the contacts that are getting added are actually getting touched. So they're getting emails and getting calls. Because sometimes you can be adding all the contacts, but then they're just sitting there doing nothing. Yeah, and and marketing content, getting all the above, right? Mm -hmm. Like if sales adds contacts to a one-to-one account, that person should be getting marketing content. Like it should both ways. Everybody, it doesn't matter where the contact comes from, the whole approach needs to be hitting it because you're using account scoring to target your entire GTM approach. So so use it everywhere. And if they're coming in cold, you've got to warm them up to that that brand name. So they're you know it's going to be a lot easier of a conversation for the rep to have if they've already kind of become familiarized with the brand and what they do. Totally, totally. What is yep. it? What, what did Randy Free say? Like eleven pieces of content to get them warmed 11, up. Eleven. Eleven point four. Yeah. Eleven point four. I, I, How do we I get point four across? It's usually that point <laughs> yeah. four that gets me. <laughs> it's usually yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, internally in the back of my mind. I see a piece of content I'm like, yeah, that's eleven point four. Uh, this is pretty good. I got to get over. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta get in. Yeah. Send me that. <laughs> yeah. Send me that contract, guys. Who are ready to buy? <laughs> Wow. Anyway, it's wow. We're digressing. Um, cool. Any other thoughts you guys want to add to account scoring? Because otherwise, I'm going to move on to uh, to the final segment of the week. 
The, well, the one I, I say this every time. The one other thing I want to say. Yeah, yeah, it's like I'll, the fifth other thing you want to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just now that it's um, kind of on the top of my mind. When you have your your large enterprise accounts, and you have you know that we did this a lot at Engageo. Um, my my reps are only choosing five or six of my one to one accounts, mm-hmm. but then say they're a quarter in and they've already dispositioned those out. So now they have three or four left now, right? So, so what do you do? What we did was actually had uh, another part of our one-to-many was actually these five are what we called on the docket. Yeah. So, no. so once I disposition one of these out, it's closed lost, or maybe we won it, right? I, I still want to be fair to that rep right. and say, okay, let me add another account to yep. your one-to-one. So we had this like, small pool of on the docket, uh, accounts. On the, on, can, can I just say, like, the missed opportunity to use on deck or in the hole, which would be a great baseball reference for on the docket. <laughs> on the docket. On the <laughs> docket. Which, which is like a courthouse reference for what it's worth. That, that, is, that, is, that is a reference to like, oh yeah, I've got your defendant on the docket for 1030. On the like that, that's what that is <laughs> yeah. referencing. You're referencing like criminal justice instead of baseball. I just want to point that out. Everybody listen. I'm, I'm John, not a baseball John, player. John Miller was right about one nomenclature thing. That was it. That was, no, that one's bad. Use on, on deck or in the hole for, for this. Not I'm going bullpen. on the docket. <laughs> yeah, in the, the in the bullpen. Also great. On standby would be fine. On the docket. <laughs> <laughs> the most left field pun intended <laughs> reference I've ever heard. Enough of these baseball analogies. Enough of baseball. You see how easy that is though? And you guys were like on the docket. On I'm trying to think, dock. is there any hockey equivalent? I don't know if there's a hockey equivalent. Mm. On the bench. <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah, bench. on the bench, there's a siren going by. There's a fire in West Hollywood. Sorry, everybody. Welcome to LA. Somebody, somebody, <laughs> somebody's on the docket over there. Anyway, the uh, all right. Anyway, I can't. I can't even like address what you actually said because I'm just so distracted by that phrase. You just wanted to. Yeah, just you just wanted to grill me for the that. Docket. <laughs> That's just, what we called it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Wow. All right. Cool. 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 Um, let's <laughs> let's move on then. Unless Brandon has one more thing he wants to to work in. No, no, not this. No, that that one ended it. (laughs) I'm out of things. I'm out of of things. (laughs) All right, so it's time for this week on LinkedIn. All right, so I got a message. I'm actually not going to read the name because, or the name of the company, because it feels like somebody might get in trouble, but not really. Um, (laughs) But so I got a message that said, "You may have already covered this in your podcast." If so, could you point me to that episode? Our RevOps team here has grown from 3 to 15 over the last year, and our formal org chart is sort of wacky and hard to follow. (laughs) Just curious what a successful RevOps org chart looks like in your eyes, which we have sort of talked about this a couple times, like in passing what our org chart looks like from a RevOps standpoint. We haven't really like gone down the rabbit hole theoretically of what what I think a successful RevOps you know, org chart looks like in, in general. I have strong thoughts mm-hmm. and opinions as usual, but I will, uh, I'll defer, let you guys kick it off first and then I'll tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> that's, a, that's a weighted question. Um, now you know that I'm like waiting to jump on you. You're, 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 you were ready to talk yeah. until I now ended it that more way. Pressure. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think, Jonathan? I mean, yeah, you do need to kind of create 
avenues within your like if you're up to i mean if you're a three-person team that's one thing you you're pretty nimble you're kind of all working together on the same stuff if you get up to 15 then yeah organization starts to become a bit of a thing and you don't want to be stepping on each other's toes so i think then you kind of have to start to look at you know i think analyzing is going to be one of your buckets operations is going to be one of your buckets uh sales in general is going to be operations like sales operations is going to be another bucket. So you kind of have to figure out what buckets make sense to kind of start to divide and conquer. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, Brandon, do you have thoughts? So, that sounds right to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an okay answer. I'll give you that. It's, <laughs> it's, an, it's an okay I'll take answer. That. Like it's not, I'm not blown away by what you've said, but, <laughs> but, but like, yeah, I mean, your RevOps team would be fine if that's what happened. Um, but I mean, I, I obviously I'm a huge advocate for RevOps being a standalone department, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. I think that's super, super important. We, we do that here. I report directly to the CEO and then all of operations reports to me. The the way I would see a successful revenue operations sort of org chart. Sorry, my dog is, is like itching herself right next to me. If you guys can hear that <laughs> jingle. Um, the way I would see a successful you know org chart for RevOps working if I was like 15 people, right, would be... Um, RevOps is his own umbrella, head of revenue operations at the top. And you get, you know, director of revenue operations hyphen marketing, director of revenue operations hyphen sales, director mm. of revenue operations hyphen CS, essentially, you know, underneath that umbrella. And probably somebody that's like director of business analytics also, right, in, in that sort mm-hmm. of like first level of, of reports directly to the head of revenue operations. And then sort of back in below that, different like systems analysts, Salesforce admins under the sales umbrella, right? HubSpot administration under the, the marketing team and sort of roll them in business and out, business analytics, data science, whatever, underneath the business business science or business analytics director. Um, and, but the reason I would sort of keep this all in the RevOps umbrella and I would also probably work in sort of revenue operations titles across the board because one of the things that I don't want to lose, even if I'm a 15-person company, is my... Revenue operations manager hyphen sales. If I have a massive marketing project or a massive CS project, I want to be able to loop that person in to those, right? And so maybe I have mm-hmm. three people that are more sales oriented in revenue operations, but that's not going to help their career development. I want them to have a RevOps title so that I can arguably say, you know what? Sale, like the two guys in sales ops, I'm actually going to pull you over to work on this CS project because we're revenue operations. We can work everywhere, right? And so I know mm-hmm. it's not your wheelhouse, but it's good exposure for you. I want you to work on this. We need resources to help us with CS. It just provides more flexibility to keep that sort of like nimble structure. But from an org chart standpoint, pretty straightforward vision of what that org chart looks like. I think the nomenclature is just helpful in, in sort of making sure your team is always prepared that and has the growth trajectory that they need to become a head of RevOps in the future or learn other facets of the business like marketing, sales, CS, right? If they come in for CS, I want them to learn marketing and sales. I want them to be a resource for those teams. So if I give them a title like revenue operations hyphen sales, they have a title that allows them to go work in these other umbrellas, which is super important to me. Yep. I like that. And I think one thing to add to that is I see this happen in all across departments, not just revenue operations, but marketing everywhere is they get too top heavy. Totally. And you you don't have enough doers and you have way too many people thinking high level and then yeah that become you know it's expensive for one you're paying for a lot of managers who don't actually put the foot to the pedal totally and then, too you don't have enough resources are you accusing me of done. not putting my foot to the pedal because <laughs> no. i want to point out to I, say, I roll my sleeves up probably yeah. as much as any other ops person at the company most of the time <laughs> and that's where i would say the ideal scenario is like what you want to avoid is just kind of 
your typical, like what you see is your director up top, just telling everybody else what to do. You want that director up top to actually be able to get their hands dirty too uh, in a perfect world. I know there's scenarios where that doesn't happen and it works, but for the most part. I mean, the the reality is, is, is uh, like me as, you know, the head of revenue operations, I, I, it'll, it'll become less and less as we scale, right? Like right now Mm -hmm. I still roll my sleeves up a lot and help you guys with projects and, and even map them out and project manage them like day to day. Um, And, and, that that's just not scalable long term, and, and also you know if we get to like nine people in the future, I I won't. But there's always there's never gonna be a universe where I'm not doing like ten hours of rolling my sleeve up a week because if I'm not doing that, I'm not actually understanding what you guys are working on, what problems you're running into, what blockers I need to remove for you, how I can help advise and help you grow because I'm not in the weeds with you. I'm just looking at it top down like, hey Jonathan, go do this, and then you're like, I can't, and I'm like, well, I don't understand why. Get it done. Right, like that's not it's <laughs> yeah. not actually helpful to my business or helpful to me. I, I, I it, maybe that's me personally, but I, if I was working for somebody like that, I'd be pissed. So no, not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, like I, I think operations is a unique world where yeah, if you're the head of revenue operations, you're still going to have to roll your sleeves up. You should because it's the only way you're going to understand what the team is actually working on a day to day basis and what you should prioritize. So that would be my ideal org chart. That's why I believe so much in promoting within, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you've, you've done the job before, you understand the business, you understand all the different angles and the complexities of it. And then now you get that promotion, then you can hire people under you. You, you know exactly what is needed of them and how it actually is, totally. you know, works day to day. And if, if they go on vacation, it doesn't work out, whatever happens, some emergency, you can still step in, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, it the business is not reliant on any one person right and, and we kind person, of talked about this with andy mowett in that episode too but along the same lines right totally yeah totally and having just a deep understanding of the business already baked in is such a win because bringing an yeah. outside person in they've got such an uphill battle trying to figure out how the business operates where all the data points are time to ramp and how they I board mean, and, and th- yeah. th- this is maybe like an interesting one but i don't think i would ever be ahead of revenue operations if i didn't spend at least like my first 90 days at the business really trying to understand the tech stack and the Salesforce instance. Like mm-hmm. I actually think that because I was our Salesforce admin when I first joined the company. Now, now I don't do a lot of Salesforce admin work anymore, but <laughs> when I first joined, I did, I did all of the Salesforce admin work and that understanding, knowing the framework of how our Salesforce operates and how it connects with everything and what tools we're using and all of that, it doesn't go away at all. But two years later, I still rely on that day to day to understand and coach and like tell say what we're going to do, what's valuable, how to do things, understand how that works with all the other systems. Like it, it is just like fundamentally important to get that foundation when you're leading an ops team. It's just I can I yeah. cannot stress that enough. So yeah, to your point, org chart. I think I mean I went through what mine would look like. That guy at the top needs to be hands on. Absolutely, absolutely mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Super important. And the guys below that guy at the top will have. Not to say they wouldn't respect them, but there will be so much more respect there, too, at the same time. You're going to have so much more camaraderie on your team if you're all kind of in that together as opposed to just having kind of a person on top of the pedestal. Totally. Bargain orders. Yeah, totally. You're also going to be more productive because that person at the top is probably pretty good at what they do. Otherwise, they wouldn't be at the top. True. So you know, get, exactly. them, get you them involved. Yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, know. yeah, yeah. you never know. But <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Anything else you guys want to add? Otherwise, this is a, this is a pretty a pretty quick little uh, quick, and, quick and dirty episode here. Now, I, I, I like Jonathan's answer for teams that are like smaller, you know, specializing uh, per, per skill set. And then, yeah, once you do get the, you know, 
director level people. I, I think I like Jordan's answer. So I'm going to say this one's a tie between you two. <laughs> so, so I would actually, uh, I'll push back a little bit here because I think Jonathan's answer was good, except for I want them to have cross departmental exposure and work when I'm smaller and, and, and we're, we're smaller here. I want, I want my ops people. I want Jonathan to work closely with the sales team, even though he's more marketing focused because as we scale and get to 15 folks in the future, I want that director to be the guy that has experience cross departmentally so that my head of revenue or director of revenue operations hyphen marketing has a ton of sales experience and a ton of CS experience that he can pull his team over to work on those things at any given time. So I kind of like Jonathan's answer. I'm still not totally sold is where I'm at on that. (laughs) It was good. It wasn't great. It's good. I'll win you guys over eventually. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. Really? Almost certainly not. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, everybody, it was awesome. Thanks, guys, for, for going through account scoring with me. Everybody who's listening, please go give us five stars. Write us a review on Apple. Send us your questions for this week on LinkedIn. Feel free to email them to us or message them on LinkedIn. It's totally fine. Um, you can even Tell make Jordan post. where he's wrong. Yeah, tell me, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm right. <laughs> Probably fine either way, one way or the other. And, and you could even... You could even make a LinkedIn post asking a question and tag us, mm. and we'll come answer it there and then still answer Ooh. it on the podcast. Just saying. Just saying. And, and by the way, flattery goes a long way. That's all I'm going to put out there. Um, anyways. <laughs> anyways. You're still reeling from last week's flattery. Yeah, yeah. Just any, anything to stoke that ego, baby. Anything to stoke that ego. You just got to be honest about who you are as a person at some point, right? And I know, I know what I want. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see everybody next week. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye, guys.